Welcome to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast, the podcast for serious soccer players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their soccer careers. And now, here's your host, Matt Langoni. Welcome into another episode of New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Today, I'll be joined by Providence Women's Soccer Head Coach Sam Lopes. Sam, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Uh, thanks for having us. Glad to be on. Absolutely. As we're recording this today, big day for you. you we, we talked off air. You got your Big East opener tonight. So obviously, we're, we're, we're jumping into conference play now. So we're getting into the serious portion of, of the soccer season here. But by and large, how, how do you feel your program has played so far through you know almost the first month of the season? Are you, are you pleased with what you've seen? Yeah, very pleased. I think the performances have been re- really good. Got off to a great start. And certainly the last... Last two matches, results haven't gone our way, but it's a, a little bit of a we didn't win versus we lost. I've always said I don't think the result is always a true reflection of the performance, and I think that was a clear indication in our last two matches. So we're in a good place in terms of how we want to play the game with and without the ball, and hopefully that can continue going into conference play. Yeah, through the first seven matches, 5-2 and two record. First five matches of the year didn't allow a goal, and even the the two last results that you mentioned that didn't go your way, those were only one nothing defeats. So, uh, I I mean I guess that the the defense has been pretty solid, the goalkeeping has been pretty solid. Just speak to that uh, how important that has been for you guys to to get off to this this strong start. Yeah, I think it was just important in general with such a compressed college season. You don't have that long of a time frame to kind of navigate through the season. You certainly don't want to get off too quick of a start, but it's certainly not a marathon. So you want to get off to a good start. You want to gain momentum. You want to be peaking at the right time. And you certainly want to be able to have still a lot of gas in the tank at the end of the season to kind of push through that final stretch. So yeah, getting off to a great start has been great. The defending collectively from the entire group has been very good. We've controlled opponents to limited opportunities within the flow of the game. So that's obviously a big strength of the group at the moment, but it doesn't come at the expense of generating great opportunities on the attacking side of things as well. And unfortunately, the the last two results, although we created uh, some fantastic opportunities, the ball didn't really bounce our way in that perspective. And the game of soccer, a mistake here or there could be costly. And, and certainly that happened to us in the last two results, but it doesn't take away where we feel we are and what we're capable of. Now, you've been using two goalkeepers this season, as I see on, on the stat sheet here. Is that is that a luxury to have two quality goalkeepers that you can count on? What's kind of the, the thought process there with that position for you as a yeah, coach? It's interesting. It's not something I've ever been part of my philosophy. I think when you, you have someone who's the number one, you, you continue to keep that goalkeeper as your number one. But we obviously have four goalkeepers on the roster. I think all four are capable of doing the job. We have two that have won those two spots, I guess, so to speak. We ended up bringing in Catherine, who's doing her grad year here from Michigan, but actually has two years left. So she'll also be with us next year. Uh, so will Emma, because Emma will do her fifth year with us. They're just both really talented. And the conversation with both of them prior to making these decisions was that they would have to compete to share time. If it got to a point where we felt somebody was the clear number one, we would go in that direction. 
But right now, it's a healthy internal competition. We're quite pleased with the performances of both. So I think we're going to continue in that in that approach. Yeah, I mean, you look at the stats. Emma Bodmer, seven, seven appearances, zero goals allowed through the first seven matches. Catherine McElroy, just two goals allowed. So, I mean, both goals against averages, quite impressive. Can't get any better than 0.00, so that's that's tough to beat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I think, I think what's important to share there, too, is although our defending has been so good, yeah. meaning from our front line, our mids, they've had to have, though, a timely save here or there. I think for the most part, through their organization as well, they play a role in organizing what's in front of them. We've restricted opponents to very few opportunities. But you know, as a goalkeeper, you can go stretches of the game where you're not even involved, and then you've got to have that level of concentration and, and make that timely save. And they both have done that. They both have done that. So it's a unique situation that we have, but one that is a luxury, as you mentioned. And certainly we're going to continue with that approach and hopefully they can not only maintain that kind of performance, but maybe even raise it a little bit more. Does that take take a certain buy-in from the players when you have two two quality goal, goalkeepers to, to know that, okay, I'm going to get half a match and the other keeper is going to get the other half a match? I mean, what what kind of personality does a player have to have to embrace that and not not get frustrated if they're playing really well to not see the entire match. Yeah, I think there's a, I mean, you, you hit the nail on the head. There yeah. needs to be a buy-in uh, because at the end of the day, players want to play. Right. So you run into that 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 conversation that you've got to just be fully transparent, finish the sentences, speak with them, not at them. In other words, don't tell them this is how it's going to be, but try to explain to them why you're doing it, the value that you see in it. Here's a unique thing though. Sometimes you can have where they're almost hoping one isn't doing as well as the other so they can take over the the full the full 90. But when Catherine's not in the game, she's encouraging and helping Emma. And when Emma's now on, on the sidelines in the second half, she's just as vocal encouraging Catherine and her team. So it's been more of a positive than it's been a negative. They both appreciate the opportunity. I do think you got to take into account who should start and who should come into the game because I think that's different. When you're warming up and you're, the game hasn't started, you go through a normal routine, whereas now the game is going on. The game may have a different story that's being told already at halftime. So for Catherine then to come in needs to have maybe a different approach than Emma, who may be starting the game. So those are things that we, we focus on too as well. Right. That's an interesting point, just the mentality you have, because there are players who just, there, there are those players in any sport who almost prefer coming off the bench and there's players who you want to be in that lineup to start. And, and you're right that managing those, those personality traits must be, uh, must be an important piece. In terms of your attack, you have a, a senior forward in Meg Hughes, a Massachusetts native who's, who's a pretty well-known name uh, with the program has been a, a pretty quality uh, goal creator for the program for quite some time. But you, you also have a freshman in, in Kayla Briggs, native of Toronto, who's looking at the score sheet has been, Pretty solid facilitator for you guys, just assist-wise, and I imagine a pretty key component in in what you guys are trying to do in terms of goal creation. So how how key have both of those players been to what you guys are doing? Yeah, I mean, obviously we've missed Kayla. She hasn't played now in the last few games, yeah. so that that that's hurt us a bit. Uh, she won't feature tonight as well. Uh, um, so, it, it, you know, hopefully she can return uh, relatively soon. Her her rehab and progress has been good. She, un, you know, suffered a, uh, an unfortunate uh, ankle injury mm, early, mm. about, you know, 12, 14 minutes in the half. Yeah, I think Meg obviously is well known in the area. I mean, just extremely explosive. Uh, so much power and can 
make something out of nothing, has the ability to stay out wide, be isolated, has the ability to play in between the lines. They're very good with both feet, good crosser of the ball, can score goals. Her vision is something I think she doesn't get enough credit for and her ability to kind of play those key passes. And yeah, and I think Kayla, obviously a freshman that doesn't play like a freshman, just has a lot of international experience with Canada, playing at the U-17 World Cup with the U-20s at CONCACAF. Uh, she'll be a pro. She'll be part of the national team when she gets to that point. So those two players obviously ask questions of the backs. Um, and then what it does is it allows some of our other talented players like a, a Thea, a Jillian, a Corinne, a Kyla Gallagher. It just now allows us to be a bit more dynamic and interchanging in our attack where it just keeps the back line very honest and just constantly asking them questions versus just having to zone in on one element of something that we do really well. At Providence, uh, you have a strong program, a, pro- a known commodity, double-figure wins in, in recent years. You play in the Big East, though, and that's, that's tough sledding for, for any program. Last year was a little bit of a down year. This year, you're off to the great start. Are you surprised at all with, with what you guys have done so far this season? Or did, you, did you expect that this would be a pretty quality roster you have this year? No, no, I'm not surprised at all. I was surprised at the season we had last year. That, that's <laughs> right. how I, I think of it. Like, you come off a year in 21 with an at-large bid, which is man, it's tough to do. With right. you. you got 348 teams, you got your AQs, but you got 33 teams fighting for those out. So it'll be one of those 33, I think speaks volumes to the body of the work, not only in that season, but the progression of the years leading up to it. No, I think I was more surprised last year. Yeah. This year, no surprise. I have an enormous amount of confidence in the group that we have in that locker room. I think it's a talented group. I think it's a connected group. It's a group that's very invested in the things that are really important in the fabric of our programs. And I think the results are just a reflection of that. And so the expectations are where we thought, maybe off by a game. We're five and two. I thought we could have got to six wins with our non-conference slate of games. But that's that's the beauty and also the negative of our sport. What do you point to? You mentioned you were surprised last year. Is there anything specific that you point to that contributes to a, to a down year like that? I mean, was there something you noticed as the season went along that maybe you identified and then this year you guys addressed it? Is there any, any specific thing or is it just an overall just a tough go last year? Yeah, that's a good question. I think one of the things that we did, we made sure we did not do when the season ended, because obviously it's a bit backwards. You start the spring season preparing for the following year without a full deck of cards. But one of the things that we did not want to do is say, hey, this happened last year. This cannot happen this year because it's a different season, different story to be told, different circumstances. But it does afford an opportunity to learn about, hey, what was the good of that season, even though we didn't have a season we're used to? But what were some of the things that really prevented us from getting the results or the success that we had. And so we definitely spent that. It was just an odd year. We would win games we had no business winning. <laughs> we would lose games that we had no business losing. And then I think what ends up happening when you have such a compressed season, you can just find yourself in a hole. It did not help that we had some key injuries for a, a good portion of the start of the season. Meg Hughes was injured. Jillian Kenny was injured. Lex Rothman was injured. And those were three really important personalities for the group. And then you're getting off to a difficult start. You're probably rushing them a bit. They're rushing themselves to get back because they want to help the group, but they never really got themselves to the form that they could have. It was just chasing the whole time. So 
It's just one of those seasons when you take the lessons from it, you try to apply it going forward, but you make sure you're cautious with how you frame your statements so it's not the responsibility of this year's team to rebound from last year. It's the responsibility of this year's team to put this year's season best foot forward because there's a lot of people in that locker room that weren't part of last year. Right, right. Now, looking at the Big East standings as we speak right now, eight teams in the league have have winning records right now. Granted, it's it's still early, still September, but I mean that tells you there's a lot of talent, and it's going to be another competitive fall in in that conference. What do you expect from the Big East as you dive into to conference play, and um, what are the the important things for you guys to to really zero in on and focus on? Yeah, I mean every game is a six point swing, right? So you, the the games become more intense for every conference. Doesn't matter what league it is. It just becomes a bit more intense for the simple fact is you're familiar with each other. You understand the way of doing things. Every point is super valuable because of the structure of the Big East. Road games can be a bit challenging just from the way you got to get to those games. But as you mentioned, it's going to be super competitive. I mean, you look at right now a team like Butler that's 500 at the bottom of the table, but is going to have a say to finish at the top of the table. And then you see some of the program, like a program like Georgetown that has traditionally done well, that just, I mean, they recruit elite talent. They're going to be at the top all the time fighting for things. But what's interesting now is there's new there's new leadership at programs and you can see them starting to take a little bit of the personality of the vision of that coach, whether it's at Villanova with a new coach or seeing all for perspective, like we're playing them tonight. They've got a new coach, Marquette under new leadership, DePaul under new leadership. Mags has obviously been at UConn as an assistant, but you know, it's different when you're an assistant at coach. So she's starting to put her personality into that program. So it's going to be super competitive and there's not going to be an off night. And on the day, I've always said it, whether scores were more gold than the opposition wins, regardless of all the other stats. How much pride do you have in the Big East is just such a great conference. We, we all know it being from this area and just any sport. I mean, obviously there's been, there's been documentaries about Big East basketball and just the, the competition within that league and just the kind of the rivalries within the league. How much do you love being a part of that league and just being a part of that brand to the Big East? Love it. Yeah. I love it. Obviously, it's been, when you look at it from a conference perspective, basketball, men's basketball is arguably one of the top conferences in the country, which, by the way, it's going to be a monster of a league this year. I know. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like you look at, at Shaka Smart, what he's doing at Marquette. And then now you got Sean at Xavier and you've got still Creighton under their leadership. But then you, you look at some of the, like Rick Pitino coming back to St. John's. Seeing Hall's made a great hire and the drama with Ed and going to Georgetown. And I I think our new hire, Kim English, is going to be unbelievable. So, yeah, but then you look at some of the other sports too, like on the women's side with UConn women's basketball back and and, uh, the programs that have elevated there on the women's side with Marquette and Villanova and St. John's on the women's basketball. But look at men's soccer. And then look at women's soccer. I mean, we've had teams go to the College Cup, win national championships. Two years ago, we had 10 teams in the NCAA tournament, five from the men, five from the women. You look at volleyball, Creighton, Marquette. So it's just a conference that's committed to being a power conference, which is, I don't like the word power, but like a, a, a major conference in the landscape of college athletics without at the expense of developing people and getting a high level education. 
and you can feel it at every campus, the support that they provide to student athletes and soccer in the Big East is a sport of emphasis. So I love it. I love the fact that we're the focus during the fall season and they, the league and each institution gets behind it. And hopefully we can put a competitive Big East slate of games together where there's multiple teams in the conversation for the NCAA tournament. So now you played at Quinnipiac. You've had coaching stops at, at other programs in New England. You've, you, you know this area very well. What's it like recruiting this area and just the, the, the influx of talent over the, over the last couple of decades or whatnot? It just seems like a, a grounds for a great place for coaches to find talent. I mean, with the prep yep. schools and the clubs and the club circuit around here and the showcases we have, what's it like for you as a recruiter in this area? Hard, hard. <laughs> you, got a, you got a lot of talent, but you got so many fantastic programs. Like there's so many great programs in our region that do so many great things, regardless of the level, mid-level, low-level, whatever you want to call it. I've always been one that I'm not caught up in D1, D2, D3. Like there's some unbelievable D3 programs in our backyard. There's some unbelievable D2 programs in our backyard. I just think there's some great programs regardless of the division, which makes it hard for recruiting, even though you have a lot of talent. But it's great. And you want to try to attract your backyard talent. You want to try to build a program where people have a level of pride that they want to wear the shirt and play in this unbelievable stadium in the Big East and get this unbelievable education. So recruiting is difficult. Everyone has a different way of doing it. We certainly have a certain way of doing it. We like to think we're always recruiting the best talent. But honestly, Matt, more importantly for me is recruiting the right people. I think if you recruit the right people, you put the best teams together. But more importantly, you build a culture that they understand who we are and it exceeds the 90 minutes, right? We understand how we're measured at this level. But at the same time, we tell all our recruits, we can't just focus on the soccer side in the 90 minutes. This is not a four-year commitment. This is a lifetime relationship. And I think you can do it that way while still recruiting some unbelievable talent, which obviously you've alluded to some of those some of those people that we currently have within our, our current team. We had a story last week on our, on our website, anysoccerjournal.com, on the Bryant uh, men's team, which is off to an unreal start. Yeah, uh, you know, he's done a great job. Yeah, haven't, haven't allowed a goal and just really j- just playing phenomenal soccer. And I asked Ruben Rosendez, the coach, um, if there's any extra motivation when you're playing teams from Rhode Island and, uh, you know, the, and that kind of that in-state rivalry. And I know, your team, Providence, has already beaten URI. You've beaten Brown. So do those games matter more? I mean, is that – he kind of danced around. He didn't want to say there's any more extra motivation, but which I, which I totally understood. But I got I to gotta think. I mean, you're going for these recruiting battles with a lot of these in-state programs. And if you can beat them, I mean, that's something you can say in the recruiting trail when, when you go out after the season. Yeah. So is that, do, they, do those yeah. matter, these games, more? Well, first of all, Ruben's doing an unbelievable job. He is. He I is. mean, it's awesome. And and he's a prime example, right? Like went to Franklin Pierce, did an awesome job there, right? Was an assistant before he got the Franklin Pierce job. You know, and now he's he's at Bryant, right? A local kid. And selfishly, for me, like I love seeing Portuguese coaches do well. Sure. Right? I'm Portuguese. <laughs> right. I want to see a local Portuguese person do well. And that's not the norm. Sometimes all <laughs> Portuguese coaches want other Portuguese coaches to fail, which is crazy to <laughs> think, right? But yeah, I mean, I actually took in his game against URI a bit the other day. I've yeah. got so many colleagues on the men's side. So I like following the off nights men's game just to get a, a break from it. 
But I think like, look, at the end of the day, I think for us as coaches say that those games don't have more weight, we'd be kind of lying here. The opposite they do because you want to be viewed as the best in your own state. Now it's different circumstances, right? The Bryant plays in a different league, Brown, and there's different challenges that they have. But you look at our derby with Brown. I mean, that's an intense match. We had uh, 1,200 people here. The environment was electric. It was a great game. Kayla, who you mentioned, scored an unbelievable goal. We started this Kia and I, so I was really appreciative. She was receptive to it. We we started what was called a Crosstown Cup. And whoever wins the match keeps the trophy for the entire year. And it just it just adds more to the game, right. more, more to the excitement. As a coach, though, Matt, I would honest, I, I never treat one game more than the other, but I'm also realistic that some games may have more intensity to it. And you can sense it in the locker room that that Brown game, that URI game, like, hey, come on, like, we got to make sure we get this result type of thing. And, and that's certainly going to carry over here into the Big East play. So, yeah, I can appreciate Ruben's answer, but... but <laughs> Well, Rhode Island two and zero against those two teams versus being zero and two. Yeah, know? you'll so, take that. I mean, Rhode Rhode Island is a tiny little state, but it packs a punch. I mean, I know people. Yeah, and, I know people are prideful about Rhode Island. Yeah, yeah and to yeah. be fair, you look at like look at what Andy's doing this year too. Like Andy's having a great year with Brian. Brian, we haven't been able to agree to play regular season, but we do play each other in the spring and preseason. Meg is trying to find her way with URI, but had a great year last year. And Kia, I mean. Look what she is, Donald Brown. Right. I mean, she's won Ivy Leagues three years in a row. I think she's arguably got the best forward in the country in Britain. Yep. I think that kid is beyond special. So it's just great. You right. want them to do well. You want us to do well. And then for 90 minutes, who scores one more goal? Then after that, we keep going on and keep doing well. Because if they do well, it, it makes Rhode Island look good. Right. A lot of soccer left to be played this season. What What are the... What are some goals for the program right now? I don't know if you guys are talking incidentally attorney, if you even say that stuff, or what's what what do you have any program goals that you want to accomplish this year? No. We we so we're unique in that sense. We don't do captains, we don't we don't do goal setting, we don't have rules within our program, just standards, expectations. I think if you were to ask anybody the, the expectations of where we are now in terms of the progression of the development of our program is we want to fight to win the Big East. We want to be in the conversation against the Blaze. So we don't we don't do any kind of goal setting in order to put stuff on paper for that. I think we've always been a program. Anyone who has followed us closely, it's fairly simple with us. The process is always about how can we be just a little bit better today based on what yesterday taught us. That's it. And and in the three spaces that these kids live in, we want them. To, to try to learn from yesterday to be a little bit better as a player, be a little bit better with their academics as a student and as a person. And it and today could simply mean someone forgot to say thank you yesterday when they held the door, just say thank you today. Right. So that's really all we focus on. We don't look into tomorrow. We certainly know where we'd like to go. We know what we would like to get out of this season. We just focus on what can we give in that given day. And then when it's all said and done, that final whistle blows. We'll look back to reflect and, and see what we've done. I got to say, Sam, that's a great answer because most you don't come across many coaches who say, no, we don't we don't do the whole goal setting thing. We just we, we do it differently. Has that always been your approach since since you've coached or is that something no. you've, you've come to as you've gotten older? Yeah. Yeah. So when I took over the program, we we were de- very much into establishing a foundation of how is it going to be the standards, the values, the culture. 
And in order to do that, we had to set goals because the program wasn't having as success as much as they would want. Not because they didn't have good players. I thought they did. Hmm. It just wasn't working. So early on in my tenure here, we did do goal setting. Once we understood what it meant to be a part of our program and how we approach things, then the goals went out the window. We don't want it to be an approach where we're just trying to get somewhere. We get there, then it's now what? I'm very much about the process of growth. That's our mindset. We're just trying to grow today and just get better. And, and we all have to do that. Coaches, we've got to practice what we preach. And it's as simple as what did yesterday teach you that you can apply to today? And that's it. And so we don't. I mean, the reality is, Matt, we recruit some incredible student athletes. We've had two valedictorians in our program. And look, I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> I tell you, like, I worked at Providence. I could never go. You're telling me you're not a math whiz and a, sci- no, a science nerd no, and all that no, stuff? <laughs> no, no, We had a kid once doing biochemistry and I looked at it. I was like, biochemistry? She goes, yeah. I'm like, do not come see me. Oh about my God. The academic, go see our academic corner. So the point is, is that like, this is, this is, we're not recruiting people that go take a test and say, oh, I hope I fail. They, yeah. they want to get good grades. Right. They want to play well. They want to win games. So I feel yeah. we, we center more about just the growth mindset yeah. based on what yesterday taught you. And we always ask them, we always ask them, if you could go back and do yesterday all over again, what's one or two things you thought you did really well, make that part of today's DNA. And what's one or two things you wish you could have done better? Okay, I'll try to apply that today. And I think if we just stay in that moment, then we're not chasing something. We're enjoying the journey. We're not getting too high with the highs. We're not getting too lows with the lows. And we're just trying to get better. And hopefully today is better than what yesterday was. It's funny what you said about biochemistry reminds me that my son is in sixth grade. He's in middle school now. And he's got, he's, he loves math. And I, I don't know where the hell that came from, but he loves it. And he, he came home from, he has like, a math class is an elective. And he took, he came home from school the other day and he's like, dad, I had math three different periods today. And I was like, that sounds like hell, man. He goes, he loves it though. And it's just, it's funny. I don't know where that comes from. I had my seven-year-old a couple of days ago, I was reading him a book and he corrected me three times on how to pronounce a word. Hey, and I was like, they're going to save this us. This is why yeah. your mother, this is why your mother should be helping you with this. And I'm actually should be the kid with the kids. Like my wife and I joke all the time that she's the parent, the educator, and I'm just right. the third kid in the household. Right. So. Well, that's why I say, thank God. My wife's a teacher. Thank God for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stay in our lane. That's Stay right. Lane. Absolutely. Sam, it's time for the, the best part of the show, Extra Time, where our producer, David Yaz, gives us, us three mystery questions, soccer-related mystery questions, and, and we'll do our best to answer them. And you you signed the waiver before that you're going to participate in this, so I guess, I guess you're I'm going to participate, but I don't know if I'll be able to answer any of them, so I want that to be on full disclosure right now. It's the end of regulation, so let's move to Extra Time. There is no turning back now when it comes to extra time. And yes, we have three questions prepared. Question number one, and coach, you're the guest. You get to go first. Here's the question. I don't know if you saw this recently, both you guys, but there was a remarkable goal in a Champions League game down one nothing yep. to, let me get the team's names right here, Atletico Madrid in stoppage time. The Italian goalkeeper, Ivan Provedel, basically came out of the goal and was was and had this unbelievable goal to tie it with a, a glancing header. Your, Coach, your thoughts on that? And my question as a little bit of a soccer outsider, how come we don't see that 
more often? How come you don't pull the goalie in soccer or do you? I don't know. <laughs> I don't can't do like a flying change thing with, <laughs> with soccer like you do in hockey. But yeah, I think like at the end of the day, you got a minute to go, two minutes to go. You might as well just get everybody into the box and try to get on the end of it. I got to be honest with you, man. Thinking of my goalkeepers, I don't know if they could even remotely do what that goalkeeper <laughs> did. So probably better off not doing that. They'd probably get hurt in the process. But that goal was fantastic. Matt, your thoughts? Yeah, that, I mean, that was all over social media when it happened. It was electric. I mean, the atmosphere after was nuts. The goalie was just strutting around the field, yeah. staring up at the crowd. It was yeah. phenomenal. I, I mean, teams do do that. You yeah. got a corner kick, you got a set piece late in the game. I mean, you're down a goal. That, I believe when he scored that goal, there was like no time left on. I mean, that was right. pretty much the end of the game right was, after yeah. that. So, I mean, it, you do do it. and It does get exciting, especially if you have a tall, imposing keeper who's like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, who, can, who can get up there. But yeah. for a keeper, that's going to be a huge thrill to come up there and, and score a goal like that. Yeah, yeah, he's showing up at training the next day asking his coach for like, can I play striking the next Right, day? right. <laughs> what, what am I doing uh, playing goalie? Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> all right, question number two, Matt, you can begin with this one. We're all obsessed with winning, but here's a question about losing. Tell us the most memorable loss that occurs to you, either that you experienced as a player or a coach or even a fan, and have you gotten over it? Wow, loss. I mean, I, I'm going to have to switch sports because for some okay. reason this this as a fan this I was a huge still still I was a huge Dallas Mavericks fan hmm. in basketball that was my team where I, does I, that come from I, I just loved I was when Steve Nash and Dirk Nowitzki came into the league I was I was like 18 19 years old and I just loved the way they play I liked Mark Cuban I just liked everything about that team so I just jumped I was fully on board as a Mavericks fan 2006 NBA finals they're playing the heat and they go up 2-0 in the series hmm. and I'm like okay they're gonna this is in the bag. Nash had already gone. Nash was on the Suns at this point, but Dirk was going to win. He's my favorite player of all time, him and Jordan. He, they're up 2-0 to the Heat. He'd come back and win the next four. Mm. And I was just pulling my hair out. Every guy, my, my wife can attest to this. I'd get home, or I, I, I was working nights as a sports reporter then. I'd come home, I'd tape, I'd watch the game. I'd avoid, somehow avoid, if I wasn't able to watch the score, I'd avoid it, come home and watch. And I'd be yelling in front of the TV at like 1130 at night, strike those four losses in a row just like shook me and I, there's other there's other games i've played in and i've i've watched for some reason that one sticks out because well, my, the, the my Mavs... playing days are so far behind me right now that, that <laughs> it does, i can only like live vicariously through people who are actually playing right now but my, my playing days are gone the mavs eventually won a title right they did that. well that was the beauty of it they okay. came back and it was it was redemption they beat lebron Dwayne wade and chris bosh in 2011 the big three the first year of that big three they beat him in the finals and they actually were down in that series and came back and won. So that was redemption. And that was like, that was great. That was my, my favorite sports fan moment, actually. All right, Matt, when we have more time, we, we, you and I, yeah, need you know, to... basketball and soccer for me are like, well, they're yeah. my, my top two, but we're going to, we're going to need to talk about your strange obsession with the Mavericks, but <laughs> that's uh, a whole podcast. Co co <laughs> coach, coach, same question to you. Moment of losing. Well, I'm not going to go with me. Cause he, that, that can't be, can't associate the word memorable with a law. Right. Uh, although I've had my share, I remember the losses more than I do the waves. Right. Mm. But what was the year? Because I remember watching the game with my wife when the Patriots lost. Was it the New York Giants? And well, that, hap oh, that happened. Yeah. That happened twice. But the David Tyree catch when he trapped it on his helmet, probably that one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. David, we don't have to talk about it happened twice. <laughs> okay? We are in New England here. Right. But my wife is a Giants fan. Oh. And I'm a diehard New England fan. Like I, I, I follow all the New England teams and taken even a, a, a greater liking to the Celtics with Brad Stevens at the behind the scenes, pulling the strings and stuff. And I've, although they're not looking like the old, like 
I've always been fascinated with the Patriots, the era of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, but that one moment where he catches it and it's like on his helmet. I remember where I was on the couch watching this game with my wife and I had to be really careful as she was celebrating. I wanted a few choice of words with her. So that's probably the one that I'll never forget. But those were, can't, can't get too beat up because, man, did we live in an era with Tom and Bill. I know, right. Well, I, I think you deserve credit that your marriage survived that. <laughs> survived that. I know, right? right Maybe yeah. my wife can listen to this and re- appreciate that now. <laughs> yep, exactly. Final question for extra time. Has the... Advent and Matt, you get to, no, coach, you're going to start with this one, I guess. Yeah. So how has technology affected the play and or coaching of soccer, in your opinion, in recent years? So that could be anything from statistics, analytics to video use or anything like that. How has it affected it? And do you see a different dynamic in the future with technology and soccer? That's a great question because actually I was doing, person was calling the game today, actually asking me the same question. So yeah, I think you you always have to adapt and evolve. You don't have to adopt. Obviously, when I played, social media wasn't a big thing. Social media now, I think, is a big thing. And it could be good or bad from an influence perspective. It could be good or negative noise for your players, right? So the same holds true with technology, whether you're in catapult vests or you're using the Scout data, you can literally analyze a play live as it's happening, I've always been one that doesn't use any analytical data to make my decisions, but I use it to support my decisions. And I think that obviously started back when we just had video. We have a part of, not a rule, but a way of doing things that when the game ends, we don't talk to our group for 24 hours. Because I think emotions are really connected to it. And it's primarily because what I found early in my career you would have this certain feeling about how, what you thought you saw. And then you go watch video and it's a totally different opinion. And if you have those conversations, you probably spoke out of line and could have done some, some more damage. And those moments are really critical. So I think now you've expanded that from being able to, to, to monitor and manage your players to a, another level, overtraining, undertraining, who needs more rest? who's maybe better at a certain position just based on what the speed zones are telling us. So now I, I, where we use a lot of technology within our program, it doesn't make any of the decisions. It just helps support the decisions we think make sense for the type of personalities we have within the group, the way we want to play the game, right? And mm. whether you're a counter-attacking team or a team that wants to keep the ball, the data is going to show a little bit of that. And I think it's just here to stay. It's, it's only, it's going to continue to be part of the way of doing things. I mean, the reality is, did we think five years ago we'd be doing this on a Zoom? So I think it's just part of how there's always new ways of doing things. And you got to figure out what works in your own wheelhouse. How do you want to evolve with the times that are changing and then uh, adapt to it? Adopt the things that you firmly believe in don't make anything part of what you think shouldn't be a part of it, but I think it can help the growth and the direction of your group. Excellent answer. Matt, your thoughts? Yeah, it's interesting because if I was like Sam and I was head coach of a Division One soccer program and there's all that technology at your fingertips, it's it's obviously a great tool and it's, it's, it's a probably almost overwhelming with all the things you can do and all the things you can analyze. 
as like a spectator and just a, a journalist, I'm a little bit like old man, get off my lawn with the, with the technology stuff. Like, like VAR and instant replay to me is getting absurd to the point where like, where if you dissect anything down to like the small, like the slowest grain and like, of course it's going to be in, in the NFL. That's not going to be a catch. If you slow it down to that, like piece by piece. And like, did it look like a catch to my naked eye? Yes. So let's like, part of me like thinks that did it look like the guy, the player was on sides to my naked eye? Like, yeah, let's just go. I mean, let's, mm-hmm. let's have a little bit of human error in here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's gone a little over the top. And I think the thing, if, if I was a coach, the thing that would make me most concerned or scared is that whole social media aspect and players diving into that and just like, I got to think, coach, that is that the hardest thing is making sure the players don't become their own worst enemy with social media and don't fuel that. I mean, are you guys constantly talking to the players about that stuff? Yeah. So, I, And I think you said something there that's important to understand. Like it, it's making sure that you don't overcomplicate it, right. right? Like the game of soccer is simple. Playing it simple is hard. Right. Uh, so I think sometimes you can overwhelm yourself in too much. Like less is better. Mm-hmm. Less is more. We haven't had to live in this space. Like personally, I haven't had to live in the space of VAR because of the level we coach. Right. Although tonight will be the first time we implement it. So maybe if we did this podcast in a month, I'd have a similar answer. <laughs> yeah. But I think anything that's going to help improve the game is, is a good thing. I think too much can be problematic. The social media is just exactly what I was alluding to before. It's just that we have to adapt with what the world we live in now. If you're as a coach, as a coach, if you're not finishing your own sentences, why we do certain things and the importance of it, someone else is. Mm. And that's the approach that I take. And that's why we don't have rules. We don't have captains. We have a leadership group. We talk about in our locker room, this is our safe space. Everything outside of it is noise. And noise comes in all forms of ways. Noise comes from you're having a great year and everyone is, you know, speaking highly of you and you start to become complacent and borderline cocky. Um, noise comes from, not maliciously, but parents thinking their their children should be playing more, mm. a different role, or noise comes from social media. So I think the most important thing is just as a leader of a program is finishing your sentences on why do we do things? This is the importance of it. And if you feel like this is important to you enough, then you're going to remain as disciplined as possible, which is hard to do versus make excuses to just take the easy way out. Excuses allows it to be easy today, but really hard tomorrow. And um, social media is a big one. Technology is part of our game now. I think that's a touchy one as well because players want all that data. So you've got to maybe make sure what you should be given and not given because it could be paralysis by analysis. It's just everything's changing. Everything's changing. And college athletics is changing uh, the way they do things. So we're we're in an interesting space and you've got to stay grounded on why you do what you do. If not, you could get lost in all of it. Excellent thoughts uh, from both of you gentlemen. And you have successfully navigated extra time. And to commemorate that, we will never speak of the David Tyree helmet catch (laughs) on this podcast ever again. And by the way, you can watch that video no matter how many times you watch it. He catches it every time. There's technology for you. (laughs) Exactly. Sam, one thing I'm definitely stealing from this conversation, I love that thing you said about, like, you don't talk about the game 
for 24 hours and you kind of like let it cool. I'm gonna, as, a, as a sports dad, I'm going to adopt that policy because I think there's <laughs> The kid gets in the car after game. That was terrible. Like you're think, replaying all the things that were wrong. Maybe things weren't all that bad. But give it a, give it a little time. See what stew yeah. on it a little bit. That's a great. That's actually great advice for like I think anybody involved with sports. It's interesting you bring up being a dad because now my kids are getting into sports, and I feel I've always felt that sports teaches you far greater things than just how to play said sport. Right. And my wife obviously coaches, and we're we're in an interesting space where we. We don't want our kids to feel like they have to travel our same path sure. athletically, but we want them to understand the value of sports. And where we are now, it's, do we coach our kids? Do we not coach our yeah, kids? It's the hardest do thing. Do we just become parents or not? And we've, we've arrived at, if our kids want us to coach them, then we're going to coach them because we coach everyone else's kids. But we've made a conscious effort and we work at it all the time that we never talk to them about the game unless they ask us. We just ask them like, hey, did you listen? Did you, were you a good team? Did you have fun? Did you work hard? Because as coaches, we've lived it. We know, we know what, what, what can do for it. But 24 hour thing is tough though. I know. 24 hour thing. I can, already, I can already see myself after, you know, after a soccer or basketball game, just tight lip for 24 hours. It's going to be tough as any, as tough. any pair for anybody who loves sports. I mean, you, you go that's to a right. competition you immediately want to talk about, but I do think that's great advice. And I think it's that, that cooling off period and not dissecting something that just happened is, is a smart strategy. Yeah. Well, well, I works for us. So we'll, we'll keep trying our best. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great. Well, Sam, thanks so much for joining the podcast. This was a great conversation and um, obviously best of luck going through the rest of the season. I'm sure we'll, we'll be chatting a bunch in the future. Yeah, and I, I just want to acknowledge that I appreciate all that you do. Like, I think we all play a role um, in growing our sport that is arguably viewed as the best in the world. And I think it's important to acknowledge that everybody has a different space, whether you're a referee, a high school coach, a youth coach, a college coach, a pro coach, a director of a club, but you with this unbelievable podcast, the New England Soccer Journal, we all play a role. So just keep doing all the good stuff and helping our game grow. And hopefully we can continue to make it the best sport out there across the uh, across the world. Absolutely. I really appreciate that. And thanks again to Sam Lopes for joining our podcast. I'm Matt Langoni. Thanks for listening. New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast is produced by David Yaz and is a Siemens Media production. You've been listening to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast or visit anysoccerjournal.com forward slash podcast. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful.